Yeah, fool them. I came to this microphone first, but uh, it's good to see you this morning, House of the Lord. I trust that you all had a nice Thanksgiving time together. Um, I was thinking about that particular video right there. Life's a blur many times when we get in, especially this time of year, because we have so many distractions to what we really need to be doing for the Lord and worshiping him and keeping our eyes uh, on, on who he is. We lose our focus many, many times. We were joking the other day, or I heard something on the radio and somebody mentioned this, that we gather together on Thanksgiving, we all gather hands and we thank the Lord for all your blessings and your goodness to us and your provision and thank you Lord for that. And then you back it up with Black Friday, which is probably the greediest time of the year. <laughs> Uh, we already started singing, it's the most greediest time of the year, you know, like that, you know. Uh, but it's kind of funny how all of a sudden our culture just helps us to be distracted from really what we really need to be concentrating on. Now, we're here today to worship the Lord, and so uh, hopefully we can kind of get all those distractions out of our minds. And uh, as a matter of fact, the choir is about to do a song. It's called Disturb Us, Lord. I want you to listen to the words to it, but right now I'm going to go ahead and just read you the words because it's so convicting and it tells us so much about who we really are many times. I think every one of us probably that are here today can identify with this right here. The song says, Disturb us, Lord, when worldly things delight us and we fail to look above. When we withhold from others though we've been given much. If the fire of our first love's not burning bright as before, disturb us, Lord. Disturb us, Lord, when we're not in your word and we don't spend time on our knees. When we have a chance, but we don't speak the truth that sets men free. If we don't worship you with fiery passion anymore, disturb us, Lord. Sometimes in your great love, you comfort the troubled. But other times in your great love, you trouble the comfortable. Disturb us, Lord, if our lives never touch the lives of those still in the dark. If we don't live with hearts that break for things that break your heart in tenderness, Please lead your church back to your heart once more. Disturb us, Lord. If we ever lose the wonder of the cross that you once bore, disturb us, Lord. I want you to really concentrate. Where do you fit in here? Is this your prayer this morning? Especially as we go, through, go into this time of the year. Uh, Maybe at the end of the song, instead of singing amen, you might say, oh, me. And uh, because it's something I think we all identify with. Listen to the words as we sing. Disturb us. 
Appreciate your ministry uh, to us, and good morning. If you want to be disturbed, read your Bible. You'll be disturbed because there's a lot there that the Lord wants us to consider, and I promise you, it will disturb you. It does me. It brings me to, at times, my knees in terms of what God expects of my life. You ever thought about that? What does God expect of your life? How will you be remembered when the Lord takes you home? There's a passage in the Bible that we probably should read more than we do. And I want to begin there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 16. We're doing this series, if you're visiting with us or um, if you were asleep last week, we're doing a series on walking with the Lord. And in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul deals with the walk of the believer and how that is to look 
You know, the great part about our walk is that we don't walk alone. That if we have the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have his spirit who resides in us. So we don't live the Christian life alone. We're not trying in our own efforts, but we have him that lives in us. Imagine that. Um, So let's read Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about walking by the Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's Word this morning. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, Outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. That's quite a list. We're not done. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you. And who's he writing to? Believers, the church. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, circle that, the fruit singular of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When we're being controlled by the Spirit, those things are happening. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also what walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Imagine if we read just that passage once a week. One time a week. Lord, I want to start my week by recognizing what you expect in relationship to my walk. That'd be quite a week. You might think we did that 52 times a year. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us that we are different because we belong to you. And you tell us that we don't walk alone. That we have the spirit of the living God that resides in us, has taken up residence in us. And the spirit leads us into the truth, all the truth. So really, we're without excuse. And the older we get in you, the more we recognize the darkness that's around us. We know that darkness, we're familiar with that. And we understand as well as believers that we wrestle against the flesh on a daily basis. 
So, Lord, with that in mind, we want to represent you well, and we can't do that without your Spirit influencing and controlling our lives. And so, in order to be reminded about what you desire for our lives, we must be in this book. So I pray, by your Spirit, you would work in every single believer here, beginning with me, and that you would lead us to this passage. It's worth consideration every single day, but if we just did it once a week, how might our lives change as we understand that we, are, we have the power in us? Lord, we need to access that power. We need to pray along the lines of, Spirit, control me today. Help me to walk and live by the Spirit. So we just, we acknowledge, Lord, we need you. And we're thankful that you've given us your Spirit. May we um, truly think on the importance of this passage in our lives on a daily basis. We want to honor you today in our service. We pray that's done through song and through the teaching and preaching of your word. All this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, let's uh, shift our focus a little bit. And we're going to start focusing a little bit on Christ's birth, but we're going to do it the way we celebrate, not the way that the Lord celebrates, or that the world celebrates. Let's sing together, Thou didst leave thy throne. Lord, to 
Seated. Glad you can be seated. I'm gonna, I want us to read through a verse, a, a passage of scripture, maybe. Normally we stand uh, during the reading of God's word. I'm going to let you sit and let the choir sit just for a minute. We've been standing for a while. But I want us to read this because we said that uh, may we never lose the wonder of the cross that we once, that you, that you once bore. That's what that song said. I mean, we're going to disturb us, Lord. So I found this verse, this little passage of scripture that will get us to our next song. Let's read this together, maybe. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. I want you to listen to the words of the song. The blood of Jesus speaks for me.
Well, we had to talk till they get back in here. So what are we going to say? Well, I've got something. You know, there may be some of you in here today that you had a frown on your face because Auburn lost. And there may be some of you in here today who are a little too cocky because Alabama won. Well, if you want to be just right, I've got a solution. There's a button here. I don't know if you can read that button, but that button says, Hogs smell good. <laughs> and they do, don't they? You put that Boston butt and you get that thing, that thing smells good, it tastes good. Let me tell you something. I'm the kind of guy that if you're interested in owning a button like this, I will be happy to order as many buttons as I need to. So you come see me after the service, and we will order you a button that says, Hogs smell good. All right, take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 5. So last week we began kind of like an introduction to this issue of walking with the Lord and trying to learn from a man named Enoch. Someone asked me last week, is it Enoch or Enoch? What is it? And I said, well, the northern pronunciation is Enoch. The southern pronunciation is Enoch. So we'll just go with Enoch. That sounds correct phonetically. So we will go with Enoch. We want to understand better about his life and specifically as it relates to his walk with God. As we do that and as we consider some other biblical characters... We're going to consider Mary's walk with God next week. Um, that's what I know to this point. But as we consider Enoch's walk with God, we have to consider our own walk with God. What does that look like? How interested are you in your walk with the Lord? And I might sound like a strange question uh, to a group of believers, but... Those of you who are in Christ today, I think it's a good question to consider. What is your walk like with the Lord? How does that look on a daily basis? I was born October the 9th, 1964, and I have not yet died. But in between that date of birth, and that date that the Lord takes me home, there's this thing that we see on grave markers, and it's a dash. And that dash speaks of our life, what we are known for, what will be said of us when that day comes. There's a lot to consider with that dash. In fact, C.S. Lewis told of an atheist grave marker that had written, all dressed up, 
and no place to go. Now that's sad, isn't it? All dressed up and no place to go. Well, whoever that was understands now there is a place to go. Everyone lives eternally. But when was the last time that you thought about your dash? You thought about your life. What will somebody say about you one day? I've done, in 30 years, I've done a lot of funerals. And I've said a lot about a lot of people. Wouldn't it be incredible if someone got up one day to speak of you and say, say they walked with God. They lived for God. Their life was marked by God. There's a lot of things said about people every day throughout this country and around the world after people die. It's significant, the dash in our life. And walking with God would be a nice way for someone to describe you as a believer and me as a believer. He walked with God. She walked with God. As I think about people in my own life, I thought about two immediately that I would say they walked with God. It was so evident. One of them you do not know, Brother Bert Morgan. He was in my church in Louisiana. Brother Bert Morgan, I would say, was a man who walked with God. That's how I would describe him. There's a lot of things you could say about Brother Bert Morgan. He prayed a long time. So when Pastor uh, Herb Lane asked him to close in prayer as a kid, you were like, oh my goodness, this is another 10 minutes. And then I thought about Nell Miner. She walked with God. You know, what a testimony to have. Imagine that. Enoch had that testimony. He walked with God. I like what G. Campbell Morgan says about walking with God. He says, walking with God means that we are going in the same direction as God. That's why it's important to understand who God is and what God wants for my life. Because I come to understand who he is, that I'm better familiar with his holiness. As the Bible says, he's holy, holy, holy. And the demands of a holy, holy God, which are clearly stated in 1 Peter chapter 1, be ye holy as what I am holy. So walking with God means that we are going in the same direction as God. And so a pertinent question for all of us to consider is, are we going in the same direction as the Lord? Is the Lord the leader? Are we following our Lord? Well, there was a man in the Bible, as we began to discuss last week, who walked with God. And what I want to do is just give you the three passages and then kind of talk a little bit about what goes on in each one of those. Let's read Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 and 24. Look what it says. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. And then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. 
And then in verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So there's some things here we need to consider from Genesis as it relates to Enoch, who was seven generations removed from Adam, as we discussed last week. There's, first of all, an unmistakable message about Enoch. I mean, you, you just have to be able to not see or read, but it's right in front of us and it's mentioned twice. It would be one thing if it was said once, but it characterized this man's life. It's mentioned twice. He walked with God. It's an unmistakable testimony about the life of this man. That's a lot to consider. He's a remarkable man. Remarkable. Because on the pages of Scripture, what we have about him is he walked with God. What does that mean? Well, as we looked last week, the first reference to walking in the Bible is when the Lord is walking in the cool of the day after Adam had sinned. And Adam and Eve are in the garden. Well, here, it's used metaphorically, and it has the idea of communion or intimacy. Another word that would be appropriate is fellowship. Enoch fellowshiped with the Lord, <laughs> all right? I mean, that's just, if you just want to read it like that, he fellowshiped with the Lord. You remember when you came into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you remember that day? What's happened since that point? It's a good question. You began this process of sanctification. And in the process of sanctification, how much consideration has there been as it relates to intimacy or fellowship or communion with the Lord? Typically, what happens in Christian circles is well, he's doing this or she's doing this for God and it's all about do, 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 do. He walked with the Lord. He had fellowship with the Lord. You know, we have a great advantage. <laughs> we have the whole revelation of God before us. So the fellowship that we can enjoy is probably indescribable how do you describe that god has given us access to himself to know everything that we have written for us in this book i like what oswald chambers says about fellowship about communion with the lord about intimacy he says once the joy of intimacy with god has been experienced Life becomes unbearable without it. That's a lot to think about. Once the joy of intimacy with God has been experienced, have you experienced that? Have you? Good question. Have I experienced the joy of intimacy with the Lord? The answer is yes for me. I have. You say, well, how does that come about? The word prayer. In fact, one theologian said prayer is 
the intimacy for the believer. So Oswald Chambers here says, once that intimacy has been experienced, it's unbearable to live life without that, which it is. You think about how that practically works out in a person's life. We know what that joy of fellowship with the Lord is. So you say, well, when's that tested? Every single day. So as we're walking and living life in general, there's issues that come up. Can I trust him? Yes, I can. Can I trust him with this? Yes, I can. Can I trust him with this? Yes, I can. Now let's talk about how it looks sometimes. Can I trust him with this? I don't know. I want to do that. I want to take that. Well, when we try to handle life's experiences on our own, we can really mess things up. Wouldn't you say that's the case? So I need to understand that with this intimacy comes this issue of faith. I can trust God. And that's exactly what goes on in Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to get to. The heroes of the faith, they trusted the Lord. They trusted him. I mean, to me, Noah is one of the greatest ones. Never had been rained. Build an ark. What? Build an ark. You're going to need it. What? Do that again. Build an ark. What did Noah do? He built an ark. You know what's nice about the scriptures is that not only do we have examples like this, but we have the knowledge that the Lord desires intimacy with us. You say, how do you know that? Take your Bibles, go to Revelation, the third chapter. Revelation chapter 3. In the context of the book of Revelation... There are seven letters written to seven churches in Asia Minor. There are different viewpoints as it relates to the messages, but it's quite clear that if you just read the introduction, it says of each of these, to the angel of the church... What's the definition of the church? Called out ones. Okay, those that belong to the Lord. So some people come to some of these letters and they go, well, that just can't be to believers. Well, it's absolutely to believers. And he's got a message for the believers in Laodicea. And many theologians would say, we're living in Laodicean days. So we're going to be able to identify with this. I think this is absolutely the message for the church today. Look what it says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. 
and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Listen to me. There is no issue with saying this about the church. None whatsoever. Listen, how good do we have it that we are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Really good. Where's the interruption? Because once we have that, we have it. It's set in stone. We're sealed by the Spirit. And from that point on, there's this thing called fellowship. And man, we live in a country. We have everything we need and more. So maybe even for us today to see the fact that I need fellowship and communion and intimacy with God on a daily basis is a real issue. Which I believe it is. Just like it was in Laodicea. They didn't even understand where they were. Spiritually. <laughs> Does that happen to us? Answer, yes. Do we need warnings? Answer, yes. And so he says, I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Look at the first phrase of verse 19. Those whom I love. Who's he talking about? The church. Those whom I love. The scriptures tells, tell us in Hebrews, those who he loves, he what? Chastens. Does the Lord need to chasten his church at times? Answer, yes. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Do we see the discipline of the Lord in the New Testament with the church? Answer, yes, right from the get-go. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Here's the fellowship verse. It's used sometimes by some to talk about salvation, but it's in the context of fellowship. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. What does the Lord want for his church? Fellowship. Fellowship. That's exactly what he wants. He wants that intimacy with his church. Notice what it says. He who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Listen to what he's saying to the church. He closes the letters all this way. He who has an ear. That's a weird way to say. Are you listening? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the who? To the churches. To who? To the churches. Who's he writing to? Believers. He wants and desires intimacy and fellowship with us. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. The Lord of all creation wants to walk with me. <laughs> On a daily basis. 
right? He wants to commune with me. He wants to fellowship with me. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if there's a vocabulary to put that like, like it needs to be said. Like, this is so incredible and available. <laughs> and yet available. So it leads to the question, well, what kept this church from the fellowship that they needed to have? Answer in one word, sin. What keeps us from that intimacy with the Lord? Sin. I like what Charles Stanley says, though, about this. In talking about how we can learn from this, he says, when we learn from experience, the scars of sin can lead us to restoration and a renewed intimacy with God. Guys, don't, mis- don't, don't misunderstand this. Once you come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that is sealed for eternity by the Spirit. Done deal. No one can take an eraser. No one can remove that seal. We're sealed by the Spirit of God. Who's removing that? Nobody. But that, from that point on, from 1971 until now, I have been in fellowship with the Lord, working on that fellowship piece. And at times, I could, I could stand on the mountaintop and say, man, that, it's going great. But at times, it's not. Been there? You know, I found to be the common denominator. I don't know how it works out for you. When I'm not opening that book as much as I need to, something happens. That happened to you? See, it happens to pastors. <laughs> I just want to laugh. Yes, we're human. I almost said that like a 13-year-old. We're human. Well, there's another observation from a couple more from Genesis. Notice in the verse, there's a definitive timetable of his walk. There's a lot of discussion about this. You know, was he in relationship with the Lord before Methuselah was born or not? And we're not here to argue all that. But it's interesting the way it's worded. Because there's a definitive time when he walked with the Lord, and that was 300 years. But notice what the verse says. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And trust me when I say there's much discussion, you can go read it for yourself this afternoon. So there's a definitive timetable in terms of his walk. It was 300 years that he walked with the Lord, that he fellowship with the Lord. And as I said last week, man, we're just thinking 300 minutes or 300 hours 300 years. Remarkable. And the third observation that we see here is there was a day in the 365th year of his life when he departed. He was taken by God. 
Notice what it says. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Now that's kind of weird. What he disintegrate? I mean, what happened to the dude? Well, no. That phrase, he was not, means this. It's interesting in the Hebrew. It means that Enoch was no longer walking about with people on the earth. That's what it means. You can literally put that in there. He wasn't walking with anyone else on the earth. He wasn't. The Bible says, for God took him. Which Hebrews speaks more to. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks to this. It says, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. Some pretty unique things here with Enoch. He didn't experience physical death. That's pretty unique. There's only one other person, as we said last week, Elijah. That's two. If the Lord does not come back in the next hundred years, do you know what we're going to experience? Death. In fact, if you look in Genesis, they lived, they died, they lived, they died, they lived, they died. They had sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. And then you have this dude that's just like, whoa. <laughs> right? When I was in school and college, we had to read through the book of Genesis. And so when you come to genealogies, you know, you're like, oh my goodness. Right? That's what happens to us. Think about it. We come to genealogies and we go, what's in there? There's a lot right here. Don't pass up the genealogies. He did not experience physical death. Notice what it says, and he was not found. How did that look? That'd be interesting. Right? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. We do know at the end it says that God took him up. But he wasn't found. Now, when I read that, I go, well, people had to be looking. Have you seen dad? Have you seen grandpa? Hadn't seen him. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Enoch's gone. There's a day coming like that. Did you know that? Now, this is what's really cool. If you're in Christ and the Lord does come back, we get to experience that. Woo! How many of you are ready for that? Today. Wow. We sang one day. There's a passage in the Bible that is read at a lot of funeral services. I read it a good bit at funeral services. It's just encouraging to me. You all know it, but I'm going to read it. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. Hey, look, when you're confused about what's going on with people who are dying around you, if you're that Thessalonian church, what do you want answers to? What's, what's happened to them? What's going on? Paul clears all that up. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed. The word there is ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. Brethren, about those who are asleep, that word asleep is the word death. 
so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That is a sad statement. It's an encouraging one, but it's a sad one. We don't have to grieve like the world grieves, but the world does grieve like it's the end. Do you understand that? I've done a lot of funerals in 30 years and some unbelieving people. I had several in New York that I did that were unbelieving people. They did not have relationship with the Lord. And I remember visiting a couple of them on occasion and almost pleading with them. They couldn't say. They made the choice to reject the Lord. So there is a group of people out there, a pretty large group, that have no hope. You ever been to a funeral where you've heard grieving, like really some big time crying? I'm talking about wailing. Look, Paul doesn't say we don't grieve. We do grieve. It's natural to grieve, but we don't grieve as do the rest, Paul says, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that? Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, believer, by the word of the Lord, the authority, Paul's like, hey, the authority's not me, it's the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. My mom's asleep. That body's asleep. I know that the Bible tells us to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I understand the immaterial part of me. I get all that. But one day, what the Lord's going to do in giving us a glorified body is really past my understanding. I don't get all. I mean, I don't. You get it? I believe it. And the Bible tells us here that those who, have, who, are, who will be taken up will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What a scene that's going to be. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Like, I've seen unbelievable things on earth. I've seen the Grand Canyon. I've seen Niagara Falls. I've seen the Grand Tetons. I mean, I've been to a lot of places, beautiful places, but there's no scene like this scene. Man, what a, what a scene. Only a scene like this scene will be whenever we're coming with the Lord on, on horseback, when he returns to earth to judge. That's going to be amazing too. And I always tell people, if you can't ride a horse, you will. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Why? Because heaven is about the Lord. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. So Enoch is an Old Testament picture of what's coming. He was not found. Not only was he a man who walked with the Lord, but secondly, he was a man who pleased God. We probably ought to let this one sink in a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, at the end of the verse, it says, For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. You say, well, how did he please God? Verse 6 tells us, Without what faith it is impossible to please him. There is this daily faith that God expects from those that belong to him. He says, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So pleasing God ties to one's faith, one's belief, daily faith, not just salvation, but daily faith. It's that wisdom that Solomon wrote about in Proverbs chapter 3 when he, says, trust, when he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. That's what God expects. He expects us to trust him. Because he is what? He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. And so he was pleasing to the Lord. It was his faith that pleased the Lord. Paul had that same ambition. In fact, he puts Timothy in here with him at least. And he may be talking about the Corinthian believers as well. But he says, therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And then he gives us a because. Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Pleasing the Lord. Faith pleases the Lord. Guys, it works out this way in our lives. It's trusting the Lord with our finances. It's trusting the Lord with our husband or with our wives or with our children. There's a big one. Trusting the Lord with your children. Lord, I'm trusting. I'm, they're yours. Caleb, Mike, and Andrew, they're yours, Lord. Abby, Janae, Maya, they're yours, Lord. They're yours. Trusting you. Give them to you. It's interesting that Enoch 
He had a family. It would have been interesting to know what his family would have said about him. The Bible tells us here in Hebrews that he pleased the Lord and it was his faith that did that. Another observation from this particular passage is that he had a solid testimony for the Lord. It's interesting this word that the author uses. For he obtained the witness that before God his being taken up, that excuse me, that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So he gives a, a definitive time frame. It's before he was taken up. And it says he obtained the witness. That word witness is a legal term. And it's the idea of one testifying on another's behalf. So that before God, Enoch was pleasing to him. But his testimony before men was the same. That he was pleasing to God. He had that witness. He had that testimony. People saw him. People were around him. Family was around him. What's your testimony? What would one testify about you? Enoch's testimony was that he was pleasing to the Lord. And it was faith that was the issue. My grandpa Blunt was one of my heroes. He served in World War II. He um, he was a big, burly kind of guy, about six foot three, two hundred and forty to fifty pounds. Just a big guy. Had tattoos on his forearms. His forearms were as big as two of mine together. He was just a big guy. In February of 1989, he was diagnosed with cancer. Liver cancer. He was dead in June. I was working at Endurall Paints at the time. Do you remember Endurall Paints? Some of you might who are older. <laughs> I was actually a roaming manager for Endurall Paints. Can you imagine that? Think about that for just a brief second. We were opening a store up in Huntsville. And my manager, Mike, said, that I need you to go to Huntsville for the next couple of months. I'm like, all right. So that works out good, Mike, because my grandpa's dying of cancer. So every other weekend, I would take my 1989 Toyota truck that I had bought. Beautiful candy apple red. Beautiful truck. That's a whole other story. But I bought the truck. You can ask Teresa about that part. I bought the truck. She wasn't present. I'll just say that when I bought the truck. 
I bought the truck and I'd take it up to my grandpa Blunt's every other weekend. I didn't know where my grandpa Blunt was spiritually, for sure. And there was a generation, I don't, it's hard to explain this, but that generation didn't talk much, some of them, about religious things. So I just didn't know. And every other weekend I'd go up there from February till June. And I would talk to him about the Lord. And I was up there in April of that year. I began to talk to him about the Lord. And he began to talk to me about the Lord. But one of the things that he said to me that I just won't forget is that thank you for living for the Lord. I was 26 years old. I didn't really understand the totality of that statement at the time, but it did kind of spark something in me from that moment on that people are watching your life. And I was able to baptize my grandfather with some help because he was falling apart. <laughs> and um, he died June 6, 1989. But I like to say it this way, he went to be with the Lord on June 6, 1989. His witness... You say, well, how much difference would it make just such a short time? Huge difference. My grandpa, he was the patriarch of the family. I mean, he was the man. He had a chair in the living room. And when you walked in the living room, it was just his chair. And I would at times sit in the chair because he was in another room. But whoever was sitting in the chair when he walked in the room, he just stood there. That was a message to get up. And so I got up. Or whoever got up. Even his own sons got up. But from April of 89 to June of 89, I witnessed the change in my granddad. I don't know when he got saved. I have a second cousin, W.A. Blunt, who was a pastor, a preacher, he said he was saved in 1960. Maybe that was the day he got saved. But I know this, that for me, God gave me a visual, a witness. And I'm forever thankful. So I don't know how it looked for Enoch. But I know this, the Bible tells us he had a solid testimony. I like what um, David Jeremiah says about our witness or our testimony. He says, if we understand what lies ahead for those who do not know Christ, there will be a sense of urgency in our witness. Because you know what's ahead for those that are lost? A forever separation from God in a place called hell. So he pleased the Lord. And then lastly, we find out from the scriptures that he preached for the Lord. <laughs> And when you think about Enoch, you don't think about him being a preacher. You don't think about that. But it's right here for us in the Bible. In Jude, 
By the way, there's just the reason there's 14 and 15 is because there's, there's one chapter. Okay. So in Jude verses 14 and 15, it says this. It was also about these men. And in that context, he's talking about false teachers. That Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all, all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, there's a couple of things that need to be said right away. Number one, he's very specific about who this man is. You say, well, why? Because there was another Enoch. You say, there was another Enoch? There was another Enoch. In fact, this other Enoch, it's said of him that he was the son of Cain. You remember that? So, when Jude's writing this, it would be very important for his readers to understand, this is the one I'm talking about. And so that's why he says in the seventh generation from Adam. Because back in chapter 4, as we have it recorded, there's another Enoch. And this other Enoch is known for something. I think this is really significant, the distinction between the two. Then Cain, remember Cain was the one who killed Abel, went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now listen to this. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he, listen to Enoch, he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. What do we know about this Enoch? He built a city, and the city was named Enoch. He built a city. Woo! He had a city named after him. It's said of Enoch, Methuselah's father, that he walked with God. Which one do you like better? To man, man would say, well, Dave, wait, let's be real here. I mean, this Enoch over here, Cain's son, had a city built and it was named after him. That's an accomplishment. In man's eyes, now I don't want you to, 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 to miss this. In man's eyes, that is wow. The street naming after you, right? A building named after you. Here's a city named after him. But then you flip over another chapter and you have another Enoch. And this Enoch walked with God. Oh, well, that doesn't seem as... Oh, no, 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 no. That's why I ask, what will we be known? How will we be known? So he's very clear that he's talking about the Enoch in chapter 5 of Genesis. But there's a second observation before we get to the ones I have. That Enoch was a man who had to preach a hard message. Yeah, well, glad it was him, not me. You see, 
all of this is leading up to another man who's in the same line, in fact, a great-grandson named Noah, who would build an ark, and there would be what on those people? Judgment on those people. So not only is he talking about a time as it relates to the Lord coming to execute judgment, but notice how he's saying it. He's saying it as if it had already happened. In the Greek tense, it's an interesting concept. It's like it's already happened, but it's yet to happen. But he's so confident about it that he writes it in this way. So he says it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. And to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He had to preach judgment. <laughs> that doesn't sound real popular. I mean, if you take a microphone and go downtown and start preaching the judgment of God, you know how many people are going to gather around you? Maybe one, your husband or wife. Well, there's a couple of things about this particular quote that we have in front of us that I need to tell you about. Jude quotes from the apocryphal book of Enoch. John MacArthur, in writing about this particular point, because there's a lot of criticism as it relates to this, because this, this book of Enoch was not in the canon. Um, MacArthur writes, The source of this information was the Holy Spirit who inspired Jude. The fact that it was recorded in the non-canonical book of Enoch had no effect on its accuracy. And then he goes on to write, Enoch, before the flood, prophesied about Christ's second coming and judgment. When's that going to happen? At the end of the tribulation period, okay? And the prophecy does not contain, and this is critical, any new information, but is simply a description of the return of the Lord in judgment, which the prophets speak about in the Old Testament. So it's not an issue, as some would make it. It's simply, for us, an example of what is going to take place. It reiterates what the prophets already say about the coming impending judgment when Christ comes back the second time. So you have here, number one, it's a quote from the apocryphal literature, the book of Enoch. And then the second thing is the word ungodly was used to describe these men. And as I said last week, won't spend much time on this, but I said last week that this word ungodly is used four times. But the word has a couple of significant meanings. As he's describing the ungodly, he's describing one who has a lack of proper respect for God. That's what the word ungodly means. Does our culture have a proper respect for the God of all creation? Answer, no. Not at all. Do we? It's a good question. 
but it also describes one with a lack of interest in the things of God and conduct that matches the attitude. (laughs) That's a tough one. Because, look what that definition says. It describes one with a lack of interest in the things of God. We could say about the world that there is a lack of interest in the things of God. We can also say there should never be a lack of interest on our part in the things of God. You say, wow, man, I mean, I thought man was generally pretty good. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23 about man. And he was saying, and he had the religious leaders in the context, and he had the crowd around him. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and of wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's like reading off of a a news script today. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. When Adam sinned, death entered. And man hadn't been doing this, right, going up. Man's been spiraling downward. We're in a downward spiral now where how many times have you had the thought this last couple of years, man, man is really far away from God. And Enoch had to preach to ungodly and he preached about a time that would be ungodly where Christ would come and judge. Well, there's an extra point that I want to give to you. In football, an extra point is worth one, just in case you wanted to know that. That's got nothing to do with what I'm about to tell you. But I'm going to give you one extra point about Enoch that I think is worthy of consideration. Enoch set an example for his family and the generations to follow. And notice what it says about his great-grandfather. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, in a time where man is described as being what? Evil, continually. Blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. Now listen to me. This is why that's important. You have Enoch. You have his son. You have his grandson. You have his great grandson we raise children and we man we want our kids to be godly 
And we fold our arms and we go, what's going on with them? And there's almost an attitude at times of just giving up. And then we have our grandchildren who are like, they can't hear, they're not, what's going on with them? Do you know what? In your family line, there may be people coming down the pike, listen to me, who know your testimony. You ever thought about that? It can happen. How will your dash read? George Mueller. This is a tremendous quote. George Mueller was a man who had a huge heart. He had an orphanage, loved children. He was an evangelist in the 19th century. And this is what he says about the believer's walk. He said, our walk counts far more than our talk always. Well, there's a poem written by Linda Ellis called The Dash. I want to read this and we'll close together in prayer. She wrote, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? When I read that, I read the last part, I think it's not the applause of man that we're longing for. It's that we please our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to make mention of our studies that are coming up for small group. Um, I think you were given one as you walked in, and you can read those, but the descriptions of them, but there's one committed with Christ, the book of Judges, where do we go from here, which is a David Jeremiah study, and then person of interest, 
by J. Warner Wallace. And so you read over those and you make that decision. Those will start, as you can see, January the 9th in 2022. It's hard to believe we're saying 2022. But um, you pray about where the Lord might want you for one of these small group studies. And it does not matter if you have signed up. Listen to me. If you're already in a group, you say, I don't have to sign up. Yes, you do. Sign up. Take this piece of paper and sign it. We want you to be involved with us as we study the Word of God and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. All right, I know I went a little longer today. I don't apologize, I don't think. But I wanted to finish Enoch today because I wanted to talk about Mary's walk with the Lord next week. So I hope you come back for that. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you've been a part of our service today. Why don't we stand, let's bow in word of prayer. For I think when we read about men and women who walked with you and lived for you, as we have it, it's, it's historical. It's already taken place. And um, where we look at it and we say, wow, that was, that was amazing. And a lot of people that we can think of, whether we're talking about Rahab, whether we're talking about Enoch, or whether we're talking about Abraham, um, it doesn't matter. Noah. Lord, um, we can look back and we can see all of these men and women of faith. And at least we can be encouraged by them. And at least, at the same time, we can be challenged as it relates to our own walk. Lord, just to think about the number of people in here and how many, if we were to count, how many people outside of this room do we see on a regular basis who see us? I pray, Lord, that you would help us by your Spirit. Help us to be pleasing to you. Help our witness, our testimony to please you. And I pray that as we have opportunities where someone asks us the question, Who is this Jesus? that we're able to give them a clear presentation of the gospel, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're just going to leave the results to you, but Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful in our witness and in our testimony. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us this week by your Spirit to live for you, help us to walk with you, and enjoy the intimacy and the fellowship that you so desire for us. All this I pray. In the wonderful name of Christ, who is Lord. Amen. You are dismissed.